Welcome to The Nine Line, your news and information source for healthcare-related issues impacting Southern Nevada veterans, and a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. And now, here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Hi, welcome to the Nine Line Podcast. I'm your host, John Archiquette, and joining me as always, Joshua Gray. Hello, John. Welcome back. Thank you. So I didn't miss an episode this time. You didn't. But I was gone for about 10 days. You were. Tell us a little bit about where you were and what you were doing. So this actually ties in very nicely uh, with our topic for the day. Uh, We're going to talk about limb loss and um, limb loss awareness month. Uh, But I was just at the Winter Sports Clinic out in Aspen, Colorado, and... And a rough place to, to have to work for it's a week. Terrible. <laughs> so terrible. Um, but it was absolutely amazing. Um, we had about 320 veterans that were out there of all different disability and ability levels um, competing in skiing, uh, snowboarding, snowmobiling, fishing, um, and just really learning to, you know, do all of these different skills, you know, regardless of their experience. And um, all different ages, all different backgrounds. It was the first time we actually had the chance to do it since the pandemic at its full capacity. It's awesome. So it was really phenomenal. Uh, my role there being somebody who can ski and hold a camera at the same time uh, <laughs> without killing themselves, uh, I was able to to go ski with a lot of veterans, kind of help them to teach, and then also record their experience and um, you know, put it out there uh, for, number one, for their enjoyment so they could, you know, see their, themselves in their closing video, but also to kind of promote the program. Um, and we were actually able to get one of our veterans, uh, Tony Drees, up on SportsCenter last That's week. That's awesome. da 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 So it was really cool. They did a full 30-second segment on Tony. And uh, just for those who didn't get to see it, Tony is a 55-year-old veteran um, who is a single-leg amputee. And um, his amputation is just below the hip. So... You know, he's got a lot of challenges with, you know, his day-to-day life, but also in skiing. Um, He was actually a Gulf War veteran who was injured when a Scud missile hit his barracks in Saudi Arabia back in 1991. Um, And that's a a very famous situation, which kind of, you know, led to a lot of the operation in in, um, Desert Storm. But, you know, after the injury, he lost the use of his leg and had 75 surgeries subsequently over the following decades. Um, until eventually he developed, completely separate, developed bone cancer and had to have the leg amputated. Oh, wow. So um, that was five years ago. So in the last five years, he went from not having any ski experience at all to becoming a, a Paralympic qualified athlete and also a somebody who lives out in Aspen now and, and works full-time as a ski trainer. Um, not just with, with adaptive sports, but with able-bodied I'm always in awe of people like that because, like, I would probably kill myself if I tried to ski. Like, just without even holding a camera, just normally. And then you see people who can do it on one leg, and it's just, it's mind-blowing what what people can do when they they set their mind to it. And specifically with Tony, I mean, you're absolutely right. I I grew up skiing. I, I don't go as often as I'd like to, but I'm a fairly experienced skier. And for me... To keep up with Tony was a chore. I mean, it just—I mean, it was an absolute. It was—it was a blast, a lot of fun. But I—I I struggled keeping up with him. And he's got one ski, and it, it's so awesome watching him because it's like watching a fish through water, like his his ski flicking back and forth, like almost like a, a tail fin of a fish. It was incredible. Um, but yeah, he made it to Sports Center, and it's kind of a long segue into our topic today because there are so many incredible things that that 
veterans who you know have lost limbs or have limb difference um, are still able to do so. Uh, joining us today, we have Joel Stuns. He is a prosthetic lab supervisor here. And we also have Jessica Blackwell, and she's a kinesiotherapist. Good morning. So welcome, both of you. Uh, Joel, you've been here before. Yeah. I believe yeah. we had you on about two years ago. Yeah. Thanks for having me back. Yep, thank you for joining us again. Yeah, Glad we didn't sure. chase you away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jessica, you're here for the first time, but we've worked with you on a lot of projects here uh, at the VA, and uh, you do so much with the, the veterans with limb loss and limb difference. So uh, we're excited to have you on today. Thank you. Very excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about, before we get into some of the topics, tell us a little bit about what you do as a kinesiotherapist, Jessica. Um, so basically when we first get our amputee with the new amputation, um, I make sure that he or she has everything they need to get around their house. Um, bathroom safety equipment, wheelchairs, we want to make sure that they're very mobile even though they just lost their limb. Um, and then I'll see them for a uh, strength and conditioning before they get their prosthesis to keep them strong so you don't, don't want them just sitting in the wheelchair and then uh prosthetic gait training so and that's the fun part the first time they stand up so yeah i take them through that and then um once we get as far as the patient allows or wants to go we also have um uh, amputee agility group so that's where kind of all the guys end up and we become we've become a community actually so yeah I'm pretty proud of that <laughs> yeah, we, we've been able to you know kind of do some other some work with with your uh, group and yeah they're they're a fun group of people yes <laughs> yes very motivated very like you said it's a brotherhood they're, yeah they're very they're very tight and yeah. they make my job uh, very interesting. So I don't have children, <laughs> but I say I do because it's them. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I love it. I love uh, the group of guys we have, and uh, they're very welcoming of new amputees too, because the first year is very hard, especially. So um, yeah, there's a lot of support over there. Awesome. Yeah. And Joel, we've had you on before, but give us a recap of uh, what you do as the prosthetic lab supervisor. Yeah, so I feel like my, my main goal or job is really just to support the people on the front lines and give them the tools and things they need to make prosthetics or, or orthotics. Um, also, we have a fabrication lab that I kind of help over, well, that I do oversee, and just make sure that the fabrication is, is on quality and, and on time and make sure that things are progressing as, as, as naturally and as best and as quickly as possible to, to take care of the vets. And, and you guys do a lot of uh, collaboration and interfacing, right? I mean, like if if yes. somebody's prosthesis isn't isn't right, and you can see that, you go back to Joel, and you guys are always kind of working together. Oh yeah, I think that's yeah. the great thing that about us working in the same building is if there is an issue. Uh, during gate training or any point of a prosthesis um, exam or, or whatnot, those are definitely communicated between Dr. Aguila, Jessica, myself, mm -hmm. Ryan, and and yeah, we, we, we know pretty quickly if something's going awry. So yeah. is that common? Um, you know, you say that's kind of one of the advantages here. So I, that would kind of lead me to think that that's, that's not a, a, a common thing where if somebody were outside of the VA system and they're an amputee and they they go, they get their prosthesis in one place, but their physical therapy in another, there's not that, that, that talking back and forth. Oh yeah, no, it's, um, you're only really gonna find it here at the VA. And I love it because I, I've been working here since before we got um, our uh, prosthetist, what's it called? The lab? The lab, yeah. yeah. <laughs> before we got the lab running, um, 
it was just me. And then I would, you know, we sent our amputees out to the private sector. So there was a lot of miscommunication with everything. So now that um, we have Ryan and Joel, it makes it so much easier. There's no miscommunication. The patient doesn't have to worry about the terms I'm saying to relate to the prosthetist and vice versa. So um, yeah, Joel actually just helped me on Monday with a, a veteran and we're going to see him today. So hopefully um, he's walking a lot better. I think I think we got it. Hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys deal a lot with like, you know, customization when it comes to this stuff because it, it's, you know, with amputations and no two veterans kind of have the same thing. Um, you know, how often do you guys have to really like dedicate, like, how much time do you really dedicate to one individual veteran when it comes to creating the prosthetics and then getting them to fit and then getting them to actually function? I would oh, say, yeah, <laughs> I would say at, ver at, um, at minimum four hours, uh, to make a prosthesis for mm -hmm. somebody over four, four different appointments. Um, and that's, that's at minimum and right. that's, and that's not even including fabrication time, gait training, uh, evaluation clinic, you know, during amputee clinic. And yep. then there's the gait training piece and, yeah. and, and the strength and conditioning, which is. And within the first year, we're de dealing a lot with volume control. So it's, it's, it's a guess and test. Like we're constantly, you know, with one patient, maybe their, their volume is just not helping with the prosthesis. So we've had to make like two or three sockets and then some fit right away and it's great. Um, so when we first meet somebody, it's probably a good, I mean, six months or longer that we're um, dedicating to them. So if I'm a veteran who has recently just experienced limb loss, uh, whether that's, you know, from an accident or from you know, combat injury or from diabetes, which you know, we see a lot of here, you know, what is the process from the amputation itself to getting to walk with a prosthetic? How does that, that whole process work? Yeah, um, so day one, we're gonna schedule you. Well, actually, now we're getting alerted to when our veterans are in inpatient here at the hospital. So when we find out about that, we'll go up and meet them while they're here in inpatient. Just kind of give them some faces to um, recognize when they come out because it's a huge change in their life. So they're going through a lot. Um, that. We also try to get them, as like I said, as much equipment as we can in the beginning for them to be mobile because their whole life has changed. Um, so if they need wheelchairs or slide boards, uh, inpatient PT, also shout out to them because they uh, will cover most of that as well. Um, but it, anything that hasn't been ordered, I'll order for them. And then uh, Andrea, our social worker, will usually schedule them their first appointment. And the first appointment, they get to see all of us. It's the multidisciplinary clinic. We got Dr. Aguila, Joel, and our Ryan, um, Andrea, the social worker, and then myself, who's a kinesiotherapist and the amputee coordinator. Um, and then we go over everything. We address everything that first day. Uh, usually family members come in, and you know, so we have to talk to the caregiver too, like they're struggling. But uh, we spend an hour with them and we go over their wounds, we go over day-to-day uh, -day life, how are they gonna shower, how are they gonna dress, all that stuff. And then if they're appropriate for um, a prosthetic, that's where Joel and Ryan will come in and do their thing and educate them about that. 
Yeah, we normally talk to them uh, prior to amputation just about what to expect, the challenges you might have. Yeah. You know, don't be afraid to reach out. Use your peers. We can, you know, put you in contact with peer support, uh, peer support group that Andrea runs. Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of want to catch them from the very beginning all the way until they're walking out the door because it's just it just seems more successful and and more inclusive to do that and in all aspects of their care when it comes to limb loss what are some of the first questions that veterans ask i feel like a lot of the a lot of the first question is uh it's more of a statement i'm not going to be able to yeah. x y and z uh -huh. and and our goal really i think is to to help them get to help them achieve the goal of whatever the X, Y, and Z is for them. So if they want to get back to skiing or get back to snowboarding or get back to just walking or just transferring, then then we want as long as that's in the interest of overall health, we definitely want to help support them and get them there. Yeah. And and that that's that that tends to happen. So and, and, and kind of to that point, you know, I when I think of amputees I, I think of highly mobile people we you see a lot of instances in in sports right you've had mm -hmm. you've had guys and try to qualify for the Olympics and I think did qualify for the Olympics with a with a prosthesis right yeah um, have you seen kind of I guess a, a, a shift in um, in people's and uh, amputees kind of perceptions of well I can't do anything to while with all of this technology stuff out here now and the way how everything is, has advanced, I can do a lot more than I than I thought I could. I, I would say the the um, um, I would say the the option or the, the 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 access to social media has really helped kind of propel what people think they can do mm -hmm. or might be able to do, and that's I don't know if it's necessarily so much the technology that people. Uh, rely on to help get them there or hang their hat on as far as a milestone but just seeing what other people do access to c talking to other amputees or social media where they can view a skier I think that's been really helped uh, that's really helped propel what what the abilities might be able to be from an amputee so we talked a little bit about how you know the different causes for amputations and things like that um, you know statistically Nationwide, and I'm assuming veterans probably fall within the same demographic. Uh, you see a lot more limb loss due to diabetes, um, and you know while there's lots of different causes for diabetes, a lot of it can sometimes tend to, you know, tie in with things like obesity or you know, you know, issues with fitness. And you talked about how fitness is a huge critical component into getting the prosthetic to work. Do you guys find challenges with that? Absolutely. <laughs> That's my biggest challenge. Um, so most of our amputees here are uh, dysvascular amputees, so they lost their limb because of poor blood flow to their feet, um, and have a pretty sedentary lifestyle prior to losing their limb. So it's hard to change that mindset, you know, because now it's even harder to walk with an artificial limb. You don't have the same muscles, you don't have the same balance. Um, and for anyone who's lost above the knee, you, it's actually like a cardio workout to walk with that thing. You'll get, you can get used to it and it'll get easier, but it's, a, it's an uphill battle right away. So, um, so yeah, that's that first year struggle that I was talking about. You know, they're, they're mourning the loss of their limb and how their life has changed. They just want it to be easy. They just want to stand up like it's a struggle. Um, but then on top of that, we got to put in the work. So. 
uh, having having the other guys there who have already been through it uh, definitely helps because they can motivate them in a way that I can't. You know, I have both my legs. They look at me. They're like, oh, no, you're 36 years old and you got both your legs. So, you know, you can't tell me what I should be feeling right now. So then that's when we bring in the peer supporters and our other veterans and, you know, got 75-year-olds walking around. So it can happen. But, it, yeah, that's the biggest challenge. Yeah, kind of to that same point. Um, you know, you meant you, you've got both of your legs. So mm -hmm. how how do you teach somebody how to walk when you don't have that? You know, like if if you're trying to rehab somebody who has both of their legs, you can be like, okay, flex this muscle and do this. See, just like I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. um, you can't do that. You don't have the same you know handicap. So like, how does that impact how you teach people how to walk again when you're like, oh, well, just do this, and but you can't really demo that, right? Right. I mean, I've gotten pretty good at making my leg look like a prosthetic limb. <laughs> like I can get the movements down, um, you know, classes and stuff. But I do that. Yeah, that's where I do like to bring in other actual amputees to to show them. Um, but I also use like YouTube videos and different stuff like that. Uh, the guys and girls, I have very few girls. Sorry, ladies. Um, they... Um, they don't seem to mind too much that I have both of my limbs. They just love the effort that we all put in. So, um, but yeah, I try to give them examples of, you know, people who are actually amputees and how they do it. Definitely. Awesome. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back talking about Limb Loss Awareness Month. You're listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. We'll be back with more right after this. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Scammers exploit chances to commit fraud, like predatory law firms and non-accredited representatives targeting veterans and their survivors by offering to get you VA benefits. Report suspected fraud at va.gov oig hotline. Learn about general counsel accreditation at va.gov. This message is from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. Did you serve in the military? If so, you can obtain a free lifetime pass to more than 2,000 federal recreation sites. These sites are located across more than 400 million acres of public lands, including national parks, wildlife refuges, and forests. The lands host activities to fit any lifestyle, hiking, biking, fishing, camping, and much more. Gold Star families are also eligible for these free lifetime passes. Plus, they cover entrance fees for a driver and all passengers in a car, or up to three additional adults at sites that charge per person. Obtaining one is easy. Just go to the National Park Service website, nps.gov, or the National Park Service app. Welcome back to The Nine Line, Southern Nevada's source for veteran-related healthcare news and information. Here's your hosts, John Archiquette and Joshua Gray. Welcome back to The Nine Line Podcast. John and Josh here with Jessica and Joel. We're talking about Limb Loss Awareness Month and um, you know some of the things that the VA does to kind of help veterans with amputations uh, thrive. Uh, one thing that I missed while I was out at the Winter Sports Clinic last week was something that you all got to work with um 
you had a veteran come in that had power knees. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, he was given uh, power knees. They're made by a company called Oser, I believe it is. Um, and they're basically a, a computer-assisted, motor-driven knee. Like, like when I think of normal prostheses for, for legs, it's anything from, like, the, 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 you know, the pirate peg leg to just, like, uh, Forrest Gump and Lieutenant Dan and stuff like that. But they're very... They're manual, right? They're very hard to use. These, they... It, they they almost did everything for him, so um, it, it was really neat to cover that. So, um, Joel, take me a little bit through that. I, I know you weren't the one who was specifically working with him, um, and Ryan was, but um, tell me a little bit about kind of how that all came to be. That was uh, that was really a, an awesome event because most of those things are drawn out over six weeks, eight weeks, or whatnot. Um, just with we have uh, contracts nationally that were allowed to purchase these things and get things very quickly but as far as like prescription criteria what what allowed this patient to, to get this and go so quick uh, this patient's a bilateral above knee amputee uh, who had some trouble standing up um, but he was able to walk independently on what we call stubbies and that's kind of in your video mm -hmm. that you've alluded to previously and highly motivated, um, just has some trouble getting up and advancing his limbs. So these power knees, how they're different from some of the other knees is they actually flex and extend under power. So it helps him get up, it helps him clear his toes during stance. So it's really, it was just a really cool event that was able to happen over a period of a couple of weeks, but it was just, you know, what, what, what does the research say about these knees? What is, we kind of have Medicare guidelines that we, you know, use as a base, but we're allowed to do more than that, but that's our foundation. So what is, what is Medicare stance on this? What is the national VA stance on this? And what does the patient want to do? And, and how do they want to advance in their treatment? And just combining all of those things for this patient, um, it was determined that these would be the best things for him. And I think it. I think it was. It went well. So then, Jess, when he, he comes up to you, like this is a whole new world for you because you're used to kind of the standard everyday prosthesis, and now you've got to work with something. I'm assuming that you've never really had much exposure to, right? Like right. now, now all of those things that you were you train people on how to do things are completely out the window because everything is different with these power knees. Yes. Um, I read the manual over the weekend. <laughs> um, yeah, totally different. And, uh, you know, we got a little review from Oser, which was awesome. Um, so, yeah, no joke. I'm reading the manual and uh, learning just as the patient's learning. So, um, but luckily he's, he's very strong. That was another, you know, criteria. So he... Uh, He's got great balance. I'm not. I'm not worried about him taking a big spill. But we're gonna. Uh, yeah, we're gonna learn together. So, I'm excited about that. So for something like that, is is the patient allowed to just go home with those, or like how how does that work? If you know he comes in once and maybe he's unsteady on them, do you like how do you just let him go, or how does that no, work? No, that's where a clinical clinical decision making comes in you know so obviously if we think he's going to shoot himself through the window we probably don't want to let him go home with him yet uh i still have him in my office um he's getting better he i mean he's only tried him twice and he's already a hundred times better than he was the first day so maybe if we get sitting down a little smoother um we could start talking about taking it home but i'll probably have him walk for me with a front wheel walker because that's what he would have at home 
Um, and then once he can demonstrate that safely, then yeah, all his. So what kind of other advances are you guys seeing when it comes to this? I'm sure you guys have to like consistently stay up to date with all of the new technology, all the new products. And, you know, while the VA is definitely on the forefront and, you know, a lot of technology and a lot of advancements, you guys have to partner with a lot of private companies with this. So, I mean, do you go to like tech fairs or how do you how do you stay up to date? Yeah, so there's um, so we're all certified. Pro- or Ryan and myself and the other colleagues we have there are certified process by the American Board of Certification. They host annual meetings where you get together and go over technology, new technology, old technology, best practice, things like that. So that's that's a way for us clinicians to get together and learn about new technologies. There's also a couple other you know annual meetings that occur where you learn some of these technologies, and then just your own research and you know clinical competency. What 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 are you interested in that the veterans could benefit from and you just kind of you start going down the rabbit hole um, and there's there's a lot of new stuff and it's always changing it's always changing so it's it is sometimes overwhelming to stay up to date with all of this stuff um, but we want to make sure we're doing the best we can and so we try to stay up as best we can so for for something like this the the power needs is that something usually where a veteran will see something and come to either of you or is that a thing where you know from professional knowledge what's out there and then you see somebody who might be a good candidate and then you try and match them up both yeah uh so sometimes um patients will research things on their own and sometimes what they've researched is appropriate and it makes sense uh medically for them uh sometimes it's not you know sometimes (laughs) it's maybe too advanced or not advanced enough uh, it's just not appropriate for them. So, so it's really a multidisciplinary, including the patient approach to what this patient's ultimately going to get. Um, it includes Dr. Aguila, Jessica, the prosthetist, and the patient. It's a collaborative decision of what this this, this device, this prosthetic component is, that's going to that, that the patient ultimately get and and hopefully benefit from. Because that's that's our only goal, you know. We talked a little bit about the lab that you guys have there, and. You know, Josh and I have both been able to go experience the lab and see the, the manufacturing you guys do there. And it's it's so cool because, I mean, you get to literally, it's like one of those old, uh, what do you call it, Mr. Rogers, like see how <laughs> the behind the scenes, how things are made kind of things. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's really cool watching you guys do those. Um, what kind of changes have been made since the last time we've been there? You know, I think it was pre-COVID. Are you, you know, developing new things or, um, you know, what kind of new stuff do you got going on? Same old, same old. No, <laughs> uh, there, there is, so truthfully, it is the same. We are uh, looking into getting a, a replacement carver, prosthetic carver, and there's also some advancements in the field with 3D printing, where they're printing sockets and things like that. Uh, we just don't have it yet. It's not to say that we won't get it, but we want to make sure that if we do invest in something like this, the return on investment for the patient is is at its its highest highest value. Uh, because we do such a high volume to work in new things in the short term and try to take care of our patients, it's hard to work in the, the brand brand new things and be a test site for, for some things when we're trying to take care of as many patients as we can. So, yep, it's kind of the same old same, but uh, it's um, still, we're, we're still doing it. So how does three, I mean, I have a 3D printer at home and I, I know John does too. Like it takes... Uh, it, it takes like a day to print like a little pot, right? And you're talking about something much bigger than that. Is there an actual like time savings if you do like 3D printing a, a socket, especially with, you know, you're working with carbon fiber and a, a bunch of different other materials and you're working at it at home. Like what's, what's the benefit to 3D printing a, a socket? 
if there is one? So I think it's just reproducibility. So that's one of the things, right? We can scan a patient, it's digitally saved, their, their image of their, their limb, and it's, it's reproducible uh, with um, infinite adjustments digitally. Also, it uh, takes out a labor component that uh, where we, you know, we don't have to have people making those things anymore. Um, however, it introduces a uh, manufacturing you know, uh, equipment possible breakage that we also don't have now sure. so i'd say reproducibility and um it does take a while to print a socket even even in the industrial printers i think it takes about three hours to print a socket and if one little thing goes wrong where with the late you know the human component we can probably fix that if you're not watching your 3d printer print this thing and one little thing goes wrong your whole project is, is no longer any good nobody so. watches their 3d printers <laughs> <laughs> uh, jessica you talked briefly about um some of the the peer groups that you have um for the amputation clinics and mm. you know a couple years back uh we got the opportunity to work with you with the ass kickers yeah. um and that was a you know that was a, a great group we had a lot of personalities mm-hmm. um you know how how critical is it how how much do you think it helps veterans to kind of adjust or to you know get into the routine when they have a community like that i think it's um the most important like some of my new amputees who i just can't get through to they can't get motivated um i'll take them around this group of guys because uh, they can talk to each other in a way that i can't so i don't it used to be the agility clinic. Now it's the everybody clinic. If you ha- have lost a limb, you're in. So, um, yeah, like I said, it's the most important. We have a social worker now. She started the peer, um, another peer group. So that takes place on Wednesdays. And then I have the the agility, the workout part Mondays and Thursdays. But, you know, these guys hang out for lunch. Um, they actually motivate each other to put on their prosthetic because sometimes uh, it's it's not something that the person wants to do. You know, they're, um, you know, still mourning and still going through the process. And the last thing they want to do is think about their missing limb. Um, but these guys motivate them and it really helps keep them, uh, motivated walking as much as they can. And, uh, it's actually decreased a lot of our consults for people, amputees specifically coming back for back pain or for falls because they never stop working. So in the past, uh, you know, they'd go through their physical therapy or their kinesiotherapy, they'd go home and then they want to put on their leg because they had no, they had nobody to hang out with, nowhere to go. They're sitting at home. So why not just sit in the wheelchair? Right. Um, but now that they have that group and that community, it, uh, motivates them to put on their prosthetic, come out and, uh, and hang out with everybody. So tell me how important for what you do it, mm-hmm. mindset is, mm-hmm. you know, because you're you are dealing with uh, a segment of veterans that, you know, kind of have a right to be depressed. They have a right mm-hmm. to be down. You, you yeah. said they mourn, yeah. you know, the, the loss of a lifestyle or something like yeah. that, you know, and, and every every physical therapist is a, a cheerleader of sorts <laughs> because you want to motivate. Um, mm-hmm. But. You know, tell me how important your mindset is in being successful in in what you do. Um, Very important. I think the biggest thing that I can do for them is listen. I know that everybody thinks of PT or KT and like, oh, got to exercise. Exercise, we we do as well. Um, But a lot of times they just need to get out their feelings and get out what they're going through. Um, 
So I was told that it, it takes about a year for them to completely mourn the loss, you know, give or take, everybody's different. But if I can give them through that year, then uh, we've succeeded. So, um, but yeah, it's not always, you know, push them militant style. It's, you know, let's go, let's go hang out. You know, we're here for an hour. We're going to make the best of it. Even if you, you know, at least you showed up and you didn't just stay at home. So getting them out and getting them social for that first year is very important. I mean, that's something that, like you said, it's, you know, <laughs> critical to have that that social component and having yeah. that, that peer pressure, mm-hmm. the positive peer pressure mm-hmm. of, you know, putting that, that prosthetic on and actually getting out and doing stuff. Right. It, it almost helps because, <laughs> you know, you're dealing with veterans. We, you know, we, we've all been to, you know, um, basic training, you mm-hmm. know, boot camp, stuff like that. It, it almost seems at times like your other your other folks in the group kind of take on that that drill instructor mentality yes you know it's not tough like like right. you would think from like full metal jacket but mm-hmm. it's like it's like come on man let's do this yes you're, you're gonna do it you're gonna do it you yep. know it's it's great to see that i love that yes that is great what's the most rewarding thing that you do what what what, what do you take home every day and just you know makes you feel like you've accomplished something um just the ones who are appreciative like uh you know, we had a few of our amputees, one we've been seeing for eight years, and we've been through some ups and downs with him. Um, and he just came in walking with both his prostheses. He walks everywhere now, hiking. Uh, and he just came in to say how thankful he is for us to be there for him, even when, you know, he didn't really want us there. And, uh, you know, I know it's our job, but. Um, I think this, our, our amputee care team, like we have special people in it. So, uh, we don't just treat it as a job. Mostly it's like a little brother sisterhood. I was going to say family, but you know, brother sisterhood. <laughs> <sounds better. laughs> How about you, Joel? Like, like when you go home for the day, what might, what are those little moments that make you go? Yeah, man, that's, that's where it's at. Yeah. I, I would, I would just piggyback on that, you know, as far as a prosthetic standpoint goes, whatever goal that they have if i can help them achieve that that's that's what i'm here to do and and i think that's you know i know it's cliche but that's what we're all here to do right but we've put a lot of time into getting where we are to be able to help those people so if we can do that and help them achieve their goals and whatever our profession is mind prostheses and chess is gate training and motivation uh, that's that's what really hits home. That's that's good. You know, and it, it seems like that you know there aren't a lot of specialties here in the facility or in the healthcare system that get that kind of feedback. Like I don't I don't know if anybody goes to like optometry and I'm just pulling services out of a hat here. So please don't get upset at me. You know, and like they get their their prescription tweaked and they come back and they go, Doc, like I see so much better now. Like, but you yeah. like have that ability to kind of impact people's lives on a on a macro scale yeah yeah and that's that's really for the bilateral uh, below knee amputee that jess was talking about he's been in a wheelchair on and off for three years i was eight years total eight years total Mm -hmm. and you know he's gone through periods of depression and and highs and lows and and now he's you know i just saw a video of him last week hiking at red rock Mm mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And, you know, almost brings us to tears to, like, yeah. know how much, you know, it's been a long road. Yeah. And, and, we're, and we're there. So we do get maybe some extra feedback that other places maybe don't get. And, and that's good. We're lucky. And I know that 
that you know other departments working with amputees as well. Um, you know, we had a chance to talk with uh, Everett Lowry, who's our chief of um, recreational therapy, and he's working with a number of um, wheelchair veterans and, and amputees for the upcoming wheelchair games. So we have a lot of opportunities for veterans like that to to really excel and and compete in sports and and just some of those activities that maybe they thought at one time um, were kind of a pipe dream and and now they're able to do those things. So. Thank you both so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. And um, we will see everyone in two weeks. You've been listening to The Nine Line, a production of the VA Southern Nevada Healthcare System. For more information about what the VA is doing for Nevada's veterans, check out our official webpage at www.lasvegas.va.gov or follow us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash lasvegasva. Thanks for listening.